Hello, friends, and welcome to the Strangers in Common podcast. I hope this finds you well, and if you're not well, well, that's okay. I'm here for you. Uh, first off, I just want to say thank you to everyone that listened to the first episode and sent me messages and everything. Uh, it was much appreciated. So let's get to know someone that you don't. And today's person is Elisa. Elisa, introduce yourself. My name is Elisa. Um, I actually went to high school with Neil, and so we have like a 20-plus year deep friendship. Um, and unfortunately for Neil, he's had to rescue me from a lot of weird situations. <laughs> um, so like Neil, I grew up in Thornton, um, Colorado. And we went to high school together, but before that, we did not. I went to a different elementary and middle school. <laughs> so what was it like growing up for you? Mm, not great. My upbringing was full of um, really difficult abuse. And um, we grew up pretty poor. But my parents liked to live like we weren't poor. Okay. Like, we never had, like, dental or anything like that care. Right. But my dad always had, like, a new Harley somehow kind of thing. Champagne so, taste on a caviar. Or a caviar taste on a beer budget, budget yeah. right? Whatever mm -hmm. the saying is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, so, you know. Um, so that being said, you know, all through high school, I kind of, like, went to extracurricular activities so that I didn't have to be home as much. Um, after I graduated, I made a, um, knee-jerk decision to get married so that I didn't have to live with my parents anymore. Okay. So I married a guy that we went to high school with, you know, and he was joining the Navy. And <laughs> so I move away at the age of 18, married, and get to see, like, Washington State and Florida and everything in between, and... You know, in that time, I got my German Shepherd, so that was cool. That was good. <laughs> so, with the, if you want to talk about it, with the abuse in childhood, was it, was it parents? Was it other relatives? Was it, what was it, if you know, if you want to elaborate on it? Yeah, it was actually not, I mean, most of my family is pretty messed up in the way of abusive behavior. But mostly, mostly my dad, who was my stepdad, that I didn't find out until way later. Okay. So, <laughs> right. you know, that was hard as a kid to, like, process all that. Like, this man has been, like, hit, beating me like I was a grown man, basically. And So it was, was it just physical or was it, mm -hmm. was it a, like, verbal or oh, just well, everything? It was emotional, verbal. It was everything but sexual abuse. Okay. Thank God. But, I mean. Right. Um. But that stuff still takes its toll, obviously. Yeah. He was he was just sinister and, and you know, he just didn't he didn't like women and he didn't like me because I was like not his kid. So <laughs> um but I also was angry with my mom because later in life, because when I reflect back to it, I'm like, You never protected me. You know, you didn't I so when we were in high school, you remember they had the eye care hotline. Right. Yeah. So they passed out these like little magnets, you know, in the nineties and they were like, If something's bothering you, you can call this line anonymously and report it, you know, and to get it off your chest. So I do. 
And then the, the school counselor calls the house, and I pick up, you know, back then we had the corded phones. My dad picks it up upstairs, I pick it up downstairs, and I'm listening. And the counselor tells him everything, because that establishment had called my counselor, you know, right. with concern. So then my parents made me go to school the next day and apologize for lying. Oh. So oh. I learned pretty quick, like, I couldn't, I, there was no trust to be had in adults. Like, right. I'm, a, I'm it, I'm on my own. So, um, but, you know, like, as far as other people in the family, like, my uncles are, were pretty shitty to me, you know, for whatever reason. However, I, I feel like that probably was because I came out pretty early as gay. <laughs> so they didn't like that. You know, they they were very, like, kind of backwards thinkers. You know? Well, and back then it wasn't widely as accepted it, as... Yeah, it wasn't. Right. Yeah, I remember, like, my mom had a friend that her and her husband were best friends with my mom and my dad. And they had to live with us for a short period of time. And the wife ended up having an affair with a woman. And my dad's friend, her husband, caught them. And he was like, well, are you, are you gay or something? And she goes, maybe. And it was just, like, this whole talk of the town. Like, they were like, that's disgusting. Right. And as a teenager, I remember just thinking, I don't know what's, well, what do you, guys so upset about <laughs> like what the fuck does it matter you know and they just were like disgusted they just kept using that word like it's disgusting right and meanwhile i had a girlfriend like secretly you know like, <laughs> right. i'm like oh, okay well disgusting so anyway i ended up coming out later you know and uh yeah they, it wasn't accepted very well my mom said i hope it's a phase <laughs> my dad t uh, told my brother to he, well, he kicked me out of the house, you know, and my brother, my little brother at the time was, I think, 12 or 13, something like that. And he told him to lock the door when I left, and I heard it as I walked away from the house. And I was like, okay. He would call me, like, a queer bitch kind of thing. Yeah, which is not great for your mental health, no, obviously. It wasn't great. And so, once again, you know, I'm on this, like, path of, like, oh, it's just me. I'm alone. I don't have any support. So I did that. I dated really toxic people, women that were just so fucking toxic. So do you feel you were attracted to the toxic people because of your stepdad? Um, I feel like there is a like deeper dynamic than that even. Yes, I do. <laughs> but also I dated much older women. So I think in, in combination I was looking for, you know, a parental figure almost yeah like somebody to just kind of like guide me a little bit right um unfortunately i found people that were like way more on a maturity level way below me like way back behind me and um i just could never land somewhere you know <laughs> and uh so yeah my my marriage obviously like dissolved and that dissolved because my best friend that i grew up with uh came to visit me in florida and we had a birthday party for a friend of his. And it was back in the day of AOL chat. So I was chatting with my brother online. Right. And I got up from the computer and I walk out to the living room and they were sleeping on our on my couch, butt naked. And <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> this is not. No. Yeah, that'll that'll definitely end a marriage. <laughs> yes, it did. It it kiboshed it pretty quick. But yeah, so so, you said you felt your mom didn't protect you. 
Yeah. My mom, my mom was like this really like overly generous, like sweet, kind woman of the community would do anything and everything for everybody. But her kids, (laughs) I mean, she did, she did the best she could really. And she's still like one of the sweetest humans on earth, but she just dropped the ball as a parent. Like she herself was abused by my dad. You know, like one, one Christmas he broke her nose, like she got so upset she threw the Christmas tree over the balcony. Wow. And this was their first, like, year of marriage, I think. Anyway, she called the police because he had broken her nose. And the police came because she had thrown the Christmas tree over the balcony. He, they made us leave. They made my mom leave. So she went, took me, and went to my grandparents. And so <laughs> that was the start of their marriage. But I was three, so I thought that he was my dad. Right. Like, I had no idea. What right. the, I didn't concept. Like, I had three years with her without anybody. But yeah, I, you don't usually remember those years. <laughs> yeah, I didn't find out till I was like a teenager. <laughs> right. So do you feel like she? Do you feel you weren't protected because she didn't have the capacity, since she was trying to protect herself? Yeah, probably an element to that is true, but also I feel like she um, was such a people pleaser that she would do anything. To just keep him calm, keep the storm calm, keep him happy. Gotcha. Because you guys were going to be there regardless, right? Yeah. And so, um, like, I remember t- trying to tell her on different occasions, you know, like, this is happening or, like, he hit me or whatever. And she would just kind of, like, dismiss it or t- tell me that I was lying. Like, she read my journal one day and she's like, I don't want you to ever write these lies again about your dad i'm like okay well um <laughs> so, yeah. i'm sure it's easier to say you're lying than to accept something that's hard to process yeah so <laughs> yeah and as i age i try to like really step into her shoes more and see like that must have been hard you know to have kids and like they had my brother which was his kid and her kids so they really treated him to, like i would say like he and i were raised by two different parents. right parental figures you know um so yeah i I was definitely (laughs) i was treated definitely like the black sheep and i i get that so yeah when when you're when you're an outsider then yeah yeah and i and i didn't quite fit in anywhere really um so have you since you've gotten older and you've reflected on it more do you still feel your mom or do you still hold it against your mom that she didn't protect you i hold a lot of resentment against my mom i find it very difficult to go visit her and i don't know i you know i'm working on all that right now currently but right yeah i hold a lot of resentment because i'm just like more i think oddly more i hold resentment for her against her because she never protected herself to begin with like she didn't, she didn't have that kind of backbone right. for her, and then subsequently, like it, it spills over onto me, and it's now my responsibility. Right. Um, but also, my mom treated me like I was like a sounding board instead of a daughter, or I was like an an adult my right. whole childhood. You know, I didn't get to play. Uh, my dad was the kind like we, if we went outside, we couldn't like laugh or make noise or scream or anything. Like we had to be silent. Okay. It was a real weird. It's kind of like, it's kind of hard for a kid. To do, yeah. But. <laughs> so you know those things, and my mom would be there and just wouldn't say anything. You know, just be dismissive of it. Right. So, um, I always thought, you know, I just wish she would just get a backbone and 
put her foot down one time and just be like, I'm not, you're not going to talk to her like that or you're not going to, you know, set right. that kind of rule. It's ridiculous or whatever. But she never did. So she always, but if they fought, she'd come to me and try to like utilize me as her, as her therapist maybe. And I was just a kid. Right. So I didn't know. she didn't have anyone else to turn to. Yeah. Basically. So I was like, oh, I was just over, overburdened with like adult responsibilities you know like right. i was always trying to like make sure everything was the boat wasn't rocked so you know fast forward into my 40s you know and i'm still learning how to unlearn that behavior of people pleasing like i don't need to take care of everybody right. i don't need to call it right that's definitely not an easy task yeah and what happens when you try to do that really ultimately is that it eventually you end up just sabotaging your life yeah. You know, until you hit the bottom and you're just like, okay. And that is what happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what happened, what happened with you after your marriage ended? So after, where did you go from there? After my marriage ended, we were in, uh, we were in Florida and I left him and I came back home, um, because my mom had been sick, not sick as in physical illness, but just having nervous breakdowns over nervous breakdown over, you know, just like right. continuously, like she developed an eating disorder and suicide attempts and, you know, like, and so again, I am running home and I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to move back and take care of my mom, you know? And so, yeah, that's what I ended up doing for a couple of years. I rented a house and I, you know, I got involved in her therapy pretty heavily and I just became very enmeshed in her care. And she, Took full advantage of that, you know. Right. Um, I did try to date a couple of men after, right after my divorce with Brandon, and it did not go well. Okay. <laughs> it was awful. And I just, I was like, well, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I had always been on both sides of the fence there, you know, right. as a kid, I would explore that. <laughs> Um, so I thought, well, I'm just going to date women. And so I did for like 20 something years. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But like I said, I just got into these really tumultuous situations that, you know, living with women right away, women with kids or without, you know, mostly women with a drinking problem or substance abuse of some sort. Um, so, and I'm assuming you were using... The same stuff they were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. So at this point in my early 20s, I'm learning that I have a real addictive personality. Mainly because at this point in time, I start dating my boss. <laughs> Where was, were you working? I was working in a nursing home okay. as a CNA. <laughs> and she was my DON, director of nursing. And she came on to me and she was 30 years older than me. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, we move in together and uh, I ended up having a back surgery, pretty extensive back surgery. They had fused my lower back. And, you know, that was the first time I had been like introduced to any uh, opiate medications. Okay. And it was coming to a close, you know, I was starting to heal and my meds were running out. But, you know, my girlfriend at the time was the DON and she was in charge back then. They didn't they're kind of careless about destroying medication that went expired or if a patient had moved out or passed away, right. you destroy those medications and the DON is in charge of that, her and her alone. So she was stealing 
um, all this uh, opiate medication and bringing it home to me. Oh, wow. And so pretty soon, you know, two, two pills every four hours was turning very quickly into 12 pills an hour, very quickly oh, to 30 pills every couple hours. Like, it became a real problem real fast. And one day she came home and I was on the couch kind of out of it. And she squats down and looks me in my face and she said, you're despondent. And I, I'm like 20 years old and I go, I don't know what that means. Right. And, um, she I mean, goes, I'm, I'm 40 yeah. something. I don't know what that means. So, <laughs> well, <fair>. you know, <laughs> like I basically like I was just out of it. Right. You know, I was not present in that moment. Like I was, I was pretty drugged up and she said, I'm taking you for a ride. I go, for, for a ride where, you know? Right. And I was just like in La La Land. And she goes, let's go get something to eat. So she loads me up and we start driving and we're driving and driving. And I'm, I have no idea where we're going. I'm, a, I'm under the impression we're going to go get food. And we pull up into this uh, building <laughs> and it was a rehab. And she had packed a bag for me and everything. And I was so angry. I can imagine. I was so angry and I was so indignant about it because I was just young and... I just felt like that was very unjust and very unfair that she stole meds to give them to me. She got me all hooked and then drops me off to the hospital, you know. Right. So anyway, I stay in a rehab for about three weeks and I'm miserable. I'm not doing anything that they're asking me to do. I'm just in my room pouting and throwing a fit, basically, you know. And, and my girlfriend would try to come and visit me every day and I would just decline the visit. You know, I don't want to see her. I don't want to see her. Right. So well, yeah, you're angry. I mean, no, you don't want to see someone that took I, you there. I felt so betrayed. Right. Like, I was like, are you serious? But, I mean, I, in retrospect, she probably did the right thing, but also did the wrong thing. Right. Stealing medication. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, so I get out of rehab by uh, attending one group session because the – whatever you would call them, um, the tech or, you know, right. the, the staff there. He comes in my room and he says, listen, you know, you want to go home, right? And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, you have to participate at least one group. You have to. Right. So I get up and I'm like full of angst and I'm just like, Ugh, you know, and they go around the room and this girl next to me introduces herself and says she is a heroin addict, right? And then they go, go to me and I roll my eyes and I'm just like, well, um, at least I'm not a heroin addict. <laughs> I only do prescription medication, you know, like right. real snobby, like real, like wet behind the ears, young kid, like just chip on my shoulder, you know? And, uh, the counselor says, I'm going to interject. And I want to tell you that in fact, you are a heroin addict. You prefer yours in pill form. But that's the only difference. So oh, okay, because they're both it, opiates. Is that it, it leveled me. Yeah, it really <laughs> took me down to like reality, and I was like, "Holy shit, he's right." Right. You know, and like here I am, just like judging everybody in the room, like, "Oh, you piece of shit." Oh, you girls. You know, like I do pharmaceutical. <laughs> like right. it was just so out of touch with reality, you know, and um, I didn't really start to get honest with myself about it until I was probably inching up on thirty. Um, so one day I had taken a bunch of pills and like normal, you know, I had a really high tolerance and it made me sick suddenly. Like I was just in a full on sweat. I was, you Ooh. know, nauseous. I shaking, like I obviously was overdosed 
you know, myself. Right. And so I go to the bathroom. I, I'm sick. And the minute I feel a little better, I go and take more pills. <sighs> and I thought to myself, okay, that was the day, like, I have a huge fucking problem on my hands that I cannot. Right. I'm not going to be able to shake this very easy, you know. Um, but besides opiates, like, I had experimented already with a bunch of street drugs with Brandon back in my marriage with oh, him. Okay. Um, and he introduced me to meth <laughs> um, and cocaine and things like that, you know. Right. Um, yeah, so I I definitely have this huge addictive personality, you know, and I would say that starts with relationships especially. So after you got done with the opioids, what did you go to after that? The opioid uh, addiction, it was a problem for a very long time. Um, I would say up until maybe less than 10 years ago, <laughs> I ended up going to a pain clinic and getting on Suboxone. And the doctor at the time said, you know, I don't know how you're alive to, to tell me this story. Like in the last week, you went to two doctors, you got a prescription for 300 Vicodin, and also 300 Percocet. Right. And also your sister has been providing you fentanyl patches and Oxycontin. You know, like right. I was just consuming so much. And she was absolutely right. She's like, I don't know how you're sitting here telling me this story and not dead somewhere. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm right. I'm like, that's why I'm here. I need some help. Like, right. I need help. And she put me on the highest dose of Suboxone a person can be on um, right out of the gate. And, man, it was like a miracle drug. <laughs> It saved my life from that, at least. Right. So after that, um, I remained pretty straight and narrow. And this was about 2014. Um, my dad, well, so 2014, I'm sorry, I'm dialing that back, way back. Um, You're good. In the middle of the opioid crisis here. <laughs> uh, in 2014, I was with a woman and she had two kids and we were together for the better half of 10 years and so i've raised her kids with her we've got the whole house the picket fence the vacations and like the perfect relationship so i thought right and one day she just looked at me one night it was like around midnight i was reading a book and she said i need you to move out and i closed my book and i was like can i ask why you know right and she goes no i just the sooner the better and so the next morning i went and got a u-haul and I moved out, so that's that's happening. And then all of a sudden, the very next month, so that's January, February, my German Shepherd falls ill, you know, and right. I have to go and I get him. And she's like, he's been sick because she she kept him for me until I could find a place to be that was solid because right. he was an um, older dog at this point, like fourteen. Yeah. <clears throat> and I didn't want him to have to experience that kind of moving, and so she calls me and says that he has been sick. For the, through the night and into the morning, you need to come get your dog. I show up, and he is, like, barely breathing. He's stuck to the floor, matted to the floor. He's just oh. in poor shape. Yeah. And I pick him up. I take him to the vet. We end up having to put him down. Hardest day of my life, man. I can imagine. Like, honestly. <laughs> and I'm like, what I learned that day was never to question the universe. <laughs> Don't ever say, what else could go wrong? Cause yeah, because everything will go wrong. Something else is going to happen. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> it's like a challenge. Right. So, all right. So I went through this horrible breakup. Then my 
dog dies, right? And then, so February, March, April, my dad had developed skin cancer above his eyebrow, right? And so we take him in for a CAT scan, and they say he's got this tumor behind his eye, um, kind of pushing pressure, and it's it's invaded the ocular um, nerve, you know. And so it's a pretty big deal. Like what happened is it ran into the the nerve line of his eye and it developed that big tumor. Right. So here I'm facing this um, situation where now my dad, my biggest abusive person in my life, (laughs) is is ill and needs my help, you know. And so I'm living with them at the time and I'm taking him to all his chemo and radiation. Like all week I'm still working at the hospital in Aurora. Like I'm so busy. Right. And one morning it was snowing and – my dad gets up and he says, I, I think I need to go to the hospital. I've got this pain in my neck. And he had developed like some swelling, like uh, like they thought maybe he was getting tumors kind of everywhere. Mm. And um, he was supposed to, uh, well, no, he had had his, his surgery. So what they did was they removed his left eye and part of his skull. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so I had to do all the wound dressings and all that but he was a cigarette smoker so it, your his vascular stuff it wasn't wasn't it wasn't healing right right you know because <sighs> he was a smoker and so he's got this pain in his neck you know this morning and he then he starts to throw up in the sink in the kitchen and i'm like okay let's go let's go you can throw up in the car let's go right so i go and i start the car you know and and he's just panicked he's i've never seen my dad afraid of anything he was always like the bully right so to see him like humbled and weak and you know scared what secretly was kind of uh, you know felt <laughs> i mean i hate to say it but it felt a little bit empowering like well how does this feel right you know um so anyway we get in the car my mom is sitting behind him in the passenger seat he's in the passenger seat and i'm driving to the hospital no sooner that we turn into the hospital to drive him around to the ER, he looked over at me and he said, I hope they see me quick because I just don't feel well. And he threw his head back and he had the biggest heart attack sitting right next to me. And I just was like, I don't know what to do with this. Right. What do I do? You know, and my mom's behind him and doesn't know what just happened. So I pull in and I said, run in there and tell them we we need a bed to come out with a a stretcher. Right. That he's in bad shape. I didn't want to tell her. And so I'm doing a sternal rub, and he comes to a little bit, and I'm like, you know, they take him in. And just a few days before that, he had he and I went to the bank to notarize paperwork for him not to be resuscitated because he had been, after his surgery, he had been intubated, and he remembers hearing everything and oh, wow. that they had restrained him, and he just it freaked him out. He's like, I don't want to ever be in that situation again. Just let me die, basically. Yeah. And so here we are in this situation, right? My mom tells them, do everything you can. So they start CPR, they break ribs, they send them to a cath lab and the whole thing. Right. So three days in the ICU and he's on life support and really just preserving from the life support. I mean, really, if you pull that plug, then he's going to go real quick, right? And I start to discuss it with other family members like my brother and they were so mad at me. They were so mad. I went and got the paperwork and I gave it to the doctor and like, these are his wishes right let's end this because he was suffering like you could tell yeah and as conflicting as that felt in me you know i had to do the right thing you know like people deserve their their wishes to be right. met 
in life. So, and when they, anyway, we, they, they take him off life support. As suspected, he goes immediately, you know. Right. And uh, I know that you had discussed, like, your father passing away and how that affects, like, it's different when a parent dies. And I was trying to, like, relate to it, and I'm like, I don't know. Like, my experience was so different, <laughs> you and, know. And everybody's is. So yours it isn't is. going to be like mine. So. I mean, I, I, I think that I tried to, like, really convince myself that I needed to be sad about it but i couldn't be sad about it you know and that's, and that's perfectly fine i mean when you're yeah. when you're abused by yeah. somebody it's hard to have sympathy he, for yeah. something happened to him and the the thing that i was proud of myself for was that i had a lot of compassion for him and i gave him the best care you know like right. while he needed my help um I did, you know, I was never like shitty to him. I was never like, you owe me an apology, nothing like that. You know, I just did what needed to be done. But in the end, you know, like, I remember being at his funeral and just kind of be feeling numb, like I didn't cry. I just kind of sat there and everybody was, you know, my family, they were like, oh, look at you, you're so insensitive. And, you know, right. <laughs> I'm like, were you guys not there when, you know, right. you guys watched this my whole childhood, like, you're, you're shocked. You know, um, and so it felt kind of awful to feel that calloused, you know, towards a parent because you just you feel conflicted. You're like, I should feel this way. And I have, you know, right here. I'm no I'm feeling like really nothing like, oh, good. Well, well <laughs> let's move on. You know, um, I spent a lot of time trying to convince my mom, like, now you're all your abusers are all gone. You know, like, let's live your life now. And she just was appalled at my, my, my statement to her. She's just like, how could, you, how could you say that to me? You know, and I'm like, well, it was it was pretty soon after his death that I said it to her. Like, come on, let's well, get and, this. Uh... And some people aren't ready to hear that. No, and, she you know, was when, not. When you're in that situation, unfortunately, you don't always see him as abusers. Right. right? You see him as right. loved ones, not somebody that's basically trashing you in your life. Well, so it's it's hard to be like, you need to move on from this because right. you don't see it that way. And my resentment um, grew because I, I just was like, I don't understand why we can't just move on from this. Like, you know, but I was trying to like project all my anger onto her. Like, come on, you know, let's rile her up a little bit. Right. Um, but what I was doing really was taking away like the last few years of their life together were really fantastic. Mm -hmm. He was really attentive to her. Like he really was quite changed, you know, in that right. way. And they went on trips, you know, they went on vacations. They, he took her to the mountains if she wanted to go for a ride. Like, to a, she loved driving in the mountains. Like, you know, they went and explored places. And and here I was like, well, fuck this guy. You know, like, right. and <laughs> I, I was very much, like, dismissive of the last part of their marriage was so good. And that's what she was kind of holding on to, like, Everything was so good. It was going so well. You know, well, what happened? You want to remember the good times, not the bad. For sure. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. So um, I ended up I, I ended up apologizing to her and, you know, um, you know, because what I did wasn't okay. Right. Just because I was full of anger. Well, at this point, I had never had therapy ever. You know, I'm just trying to navigate this water like the best I know how. Right. You know, I've got all this crazy trauma behind me and now I'm getting into all these adult relationships full of trauma, you know, and I'm just angry. I'm just like a pissed off. So after all this happened, circling back, 
Um, so what did you get into substance abuse wise after all of this stuff happened? Well, <laughs> I got into just about everything. Um, just about. I got back into methamphetamine. I got into ecstasy. Uh, I got into cocaine. I tried crack. Like, <laughs> I was trying. I, I kind of went on this, like, uh, out of control roller coaster ride, like, on purpose. It was, so was that... self sabotage all the way. That was so. <laughs> Just so you didn't, you didn't want to feel. Oh yeah. Anything, or you just didn't want to be here. Period. Both. Okay. Both. I was trying to really escape the whole thing. Right. And the more I tried to like brush it under the rug, like the more surfaced, the more the surfaced, you know, right. it just kind of <laughs> pop up, and I'm like, I don't want to deal with it. So then I dive into drugs. You know, I never really got into drinking per se, but. If I was dating somebody that was an alcoholic, I mean, like, full-on alcoholic, right? I always felt like my initial reaction to that is I need to get on that level to tolerate it. Like, if I'm sober and they're drinking, I'm never going to make this, make it out alive here. So I'm going to just get on that level, basically. So, so do you feel you, do you feel you pretty much took over or conformed to whoever you were with at the time? Like For you basically sure. took over their personality and <laughs> yeah. just became them? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. For example, like I dated somebody that, I, I mean, I was notoriously known for like hating football. I just, I, right. I dogged on it. I made fun of it. You know, like I was the girl that all the Bronco people hated, you know, like, right. and, and likewise I did them too, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> But then I met this woman, and she was a huge football fan. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm on social media like, well, yeah, go Cowboys. Right. <laughs> Everybody's like, wait, wait, wait. Right. Wait, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and, and so I, I definitely noticed myself kind of morphing into, like, I never got to explore who I was or what I wanted, what my needs were maybe. Like, where, where were my needs and where were they needing to be met? It was always about, like, what can I do for you? What do you like? You know, I would gauge that and then just, like, kind of just follow the leader. So do you think you got that from your mom being a people pleaser? 100%. 100%. And what really pisses me off is that I get so uptight about her behavior, and then I find myself doing it, too. Right. Or at least I did. I, I think I'm much better now. But, yeah, 100% I did do exactly what she did. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's tough. That's tough when you when you try to become somebody else, especially that you're not that person. Yeah, and min meanwhile, by the way, I just was miserable. Right. I'm like, well, this sucks. Like, I hate <laughs> football, or you know, um, like one woman lived up in the mountains, and you know, it was pretty isolated, like thirty acres of land, beautiful property, and everything, but it just wasn't something that I was just thriving and happy in right you know i felt like it was lacking something but yet you know i hear i was just like forcing myself to fit into this mold you know right doing everything that she did and and one day that's that's kind of when it, it broke open for me um but yeah that that gets into the vicky story so that we haven't even touched on yet <laughs> that, that's a lot yeah um so well We'll go about for 10 more minutes here, and then on our next one, we can dive into okay. Vicky and everything. <laughs> so, like so, what's, <laughs> <laughs> so 
to kind of lighten stuff up, what's something that you're passionate about? Yeah, I was actually going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> so when I was a child, um, I had this really weird, like, melodic memory. I remember sitting in my grandmother's lap, you know, my grandmother's from Italy, and she had this really pretty accent, and, you know, and so... I would sit on her lap and she would sing me songs and I'd watch her mouth move, like phonetically how she was pronouncing things. And here I'm three years old, you know. Right. And then I would like repeat the song back to her, right? And I discovered that I really loved music and singing, you know. And um, I got into elementary school. My my teacher had uh, recommended me to, to the Colorado Children's Chorale, which I knew nothing about. Because <laughs> right. I've been like sheltered as hell, you know. Um, so I go and I audition and apparently it's a huge deal. Like it's a big deal to be, you know, recommended for this thing. And they said, she's got perfect pitch, but she doesn't sing loud enough. And she's so shy. Like she just won't <laughs> speak up. Right. And so I didn't get in cause I was too shy. And the reason I, that I was is, you know, because I well, was right. <laughs> in this like turmoil constantly, but so, you know, going going forward, like in high school, I joined choir, of course, and band and um, learned all I could about music. But then when I was married and out of the state in Florida, I decided that I was bored and I wanted to just find like a group to join, like maybe a church choir or some sort of band or, choir, you know. Right. And it was before the day of the Internet, really. And I had found a flyer um, with this barbershop quartet style, all women's chorus. And I go to their practice and I watch them rehearse. And they said, well, if you'd like to, you know, audition, you can. Like they hand me a cassette tape with the alto part. And she goes, you can only, you get one shot. You get one shot at this and then that's it. So so take it for as long as you need it. You know, most of the girls, they'll take, you know, a couple months, like really practice it. So I go back the next day and I know the part. I got it. And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, oh, yeah, this is 500 women in the stand, right? Right. And so they pull down three people, pair us up in a quartet, and I I get in. And then I learn that they're a world-renowned a cappella group. Wow. <laughs> so that was cool. Yeah. So now I, I'm still doing that. I'm just trying to find my way. Yeah. <laughs> Hoping to sing on your own or with other people again? I, wanna, I, I really want to start a band. Yeah. I don't know what kind of band. Maybe like a, I don't know, a Red Hot Chili Peppers cover band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> girl, well, girl hey, what, band. Whatever works. I mean, if <laughs> there's people problem. listening that play music, you know, they can reach out. That'd be sweet. Um, yeah, maybe an all-female. I don't know. You, don't sing know. On, you sing on Smule, right? I sing on Smule, yeah. <laughs> and I, <laughs> that's what's my your, comfort what's zone. What's your name on it? Uh, Allie Itali. 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 I T A L I. It's it looks Itali, but it's Italy. Yeah. Okay. But when people, everybody always repeats it back to me, Ali Itali. So. A L Y. A L I. A L I. I T A L I. Yep. Yeah. So if anyone's listening, let's check her out. That'd be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I will sing with you there. Oh man, you can sing. I I've heard you sing. You can sing. Um, you definitely got to get out and do it. Yeah. Aside from apps. I do. And put yourself out there. I do, yeah. I've I've made it a very bad habit to be in that comfort <laughs> zone of like my own space. Right. And that's that's what I'm gonna work on this year. That's my goal to this year is to get, you know, my current um fiance <laughs> right now, he, he knows several of his friends are in big local bands here in Colorado and 
they're amazing people. Like, I love them so much. And so I'm being more exposed to, like, really the better side of life at this point. Good. Have you done, have you looked into open mic nights or anything? No. (laughs) That's a a very scary thing. No, because I don't want to put myself out there. I do, I do. (laughs) I do. Maybe we can go together. Maybe, yeah. You'll take that's me. That's yeah. fine. I mean, you saw my one live performance. I it's don't know. okay. It was good. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was good. You're so nice. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll stop there for this one. Um, okay. And then on the next session, we'll get into what you alluded to with the juicy a stuff. Pretty a pretty bad relationship that you went through. Yeah. And. But really, it's the probably most, one uh, of your most turbulent times. Yeah, it's so. a story to be told, man. <laughs> all right. Um, so hopefully with that, you know, we all have a little more in common. And until next time, be safe and don't be a stranger.